0: Welcome to What We've Been Watching, listeners, Phil and I, and special guest. Say hello, special guest. Hello. This is Sam. Sam is one of our other brothers, especially joining this week. We are going to review six films for you this week. It's a bumper edition because we've got our
1: special guest with us. Phil, what are your two films? My two films this week are The Town, uh, Ben Affleck film, and also Tintin, The Secrets of the Unicorn. The uh, Uncanny Valley. Mm. Yeah, Uncanny Valley. It's uh, Steven Spielberg and Peter Jackson's attempt at... Hergé's classic comic. Yeah, Sam, what are your two?
2: My two are Miller's Crossing, a uh, Coen Brothers film, one of their f- earlier ones, and Whiplash. About drumming. Very good. I'm going to be doing Princess Kaguya,
0: Studio Ghibli's multi-award winning fairy tale fable. Oh, and, I haven't heard of it. Mm, and The Secret of My Success, <laughs> classic 1980s business success story starring Michael J. Fox. Okay, who's going to go first? Why don't you go first, Phil?
1: Okay, I think I'm going to kick off with The Town.
0: Miss Kesey, I would like to start with your abduction. Four men made me open the safe. They took me as a hostage.
1: Were you able to see anything at all through the blindfold?
0: No. When someone endures an experience like this, there are often residual effects.
2: (laughs) Okay. Just having a bad week. I like to have a good cry at the nail salon. Why should we buy you a drink?
0: There are over 300 bank robberies in Boston every year. Most of these professionals live in a one square mile neighborhood called Charlestown. So do your parents still here?
2: My mother moved away, my father. You don't get out much. I'm thinking about making a change. Making a change? Either you got here or you don't. putting this whole town in my review you grew up right here
0: same rules that i did So here you guys sweet new you girlfriend secrets this one if i think anything might happen there i'm gonna kill both of you are you in love with me
1: yes so here we have ben affleck's sort of uh, move towards direct directing Argo. This is, I think, his second time behind the directing chair. He started off with Gong, Baby, Gone, and then he's done The Town. This is kind of Ben Affleck crawling out from the gutter of sort of Hollywood distaste. Oh, really? You think from Gigi and all of that? Yeah, exactly. And this is when he's starting to sort of remind people that he's got some talent. And he's a he very talented guy. He made some terrible, terrible decisions. Probably all J-Lo's fault. Yeah. Jay from the block is keeping him in the <laughs> block. <laughs> anyway, uh, this film is about, as we heard in the trailer, a particular town in Boston, the sort of Boston area. And it just so happens that this, this is the place where loads and loads of bank robbers come from. This area um, in this town, I think it's called Charlottesville or something like that. And this follows uh, Ben Affleck and Jeremy Renner as they rob banks. They rob banks in kind of theatrical ways, dressed up in as like creepy nuns or, or various different outfits and masks. And they, they plan it very carefully. They get in, get out and take the money. But it just so happens in one of their most recent bank robberies, they uh, they had taken a girl, one of the bank tellers. And they're a bit worried because they think that this lady could make them. They, she's going to be the reason that they get caught out finally. Why did they take her or is that a spoiler? Well, Jerry morena takes her as collateral or something like that when he really didn't need to. But right. for movie reasons, he does. He goes okay. against their normal code and takes her with them. And uh, in order to try and keep, keep an eye on this lady, Ben Affleck tails her. But then while he's tailing her, he kind of starts falling in love with her. Uh-oh, uh-oh, uh-oh rule 101 in <laughs> bank heists. <laughs> don't fall in love with the person you took. Cue the dramatic parts of the movie. Jeremy Wren is saying, what are you doing with this girl? You're going get, to get us caught. And Ben Affleck's like, I love this girl. Uh-huh. I don't want to get caught. And then you've got John Hamm, who's uh, Don Draper in Mad Men. He's yeah, chasing yeah. them all, trying to catch them and stop them before they get their next heist. I, I kind of like this movie. I ha- went in with quite high expectations because I heard it was a, a movie which kind of relaunched Ben Affleck as a kind of serious director and a serious actor again. He he does a good job in this film. He's got a very thick, Boston accent. <laughs> yeah. I can't do it. But... No, it's great, man. I bought it. <laughs> and it, it got some Oscar buzz even during during its release uh, back in, I think, 2012 or maybe even, uh, yeah. Uh, Jeremy Renner was kind of I think he got nominated for Best Supporting Actor. Really? Which I am astounded by having seen the film <laughs> because he, well, Ben Affleck said of uh, Jeremy Renner when he was directing him, he said, if any, if any time a scene wasn't working, I just pointed it at Jeremy and he sorted it all out. Really? Apparently he was always captivating, always compelling. But I just disagree. I just, the more and more I see of Renner, I just don't like him. Really? I quite like him. I think he, he plays a sort of gritty
0: everyman very well and he has a niche the, the problems come when they tried to put him out of his niche
1: yeah I mean he's kind of doing a very odd sort of role in this he's playing a very gritty again Boston guy with a very thick Boston accent yeah, yeah, yeah. but I don't know it just didn't really work for me
2: I've got a theory that uh, Ben Affleck is actually just doing uh, a sequence of films which are retelling his actual life <laughs> you think so uh, because everything is said in Boston Boston uh, <laughs> Southie him and uh, Matt Damon are just they're just trying to piece together their like, back catalogue of all the heists they did back at the old good Indian old days. Ben Affleck used to rob
1: banks maybe maybe on the playground or something like that it was just these he's just finally got the billion dollar budget to do his playground games nice.
0: so is it a compelling plot I mean I have to admit from the trailer and from the picture you painted there it sounds to me a little bit like a melodrama I mean it's sort of the honourable thieves thing
1: yeah it's quite it's quite engaging and it's well acted and it's well directed I think it is well directed the action and uh, tensions are shown quite well but it is a bit run of the mill i think the plot in the end. i think it's kind of you know where it's going and it kind of it just is paint by the numbers a bit it's classic sort of gangster you're not going to get away clean are you doing these sort of crimes
0: and i would imagine that's not what ben affleck intended for it my guess would be that he had higher hopes
1: i don't know i think the, the the one aspect of the film which i think really is interesting and kind of compelling is the idea that there's this weird part of america this very small little location where loads of people are turning to crime. Yeah, okay. and I think that's quite an interesting element to the film. A bit like *Hell or High Water*. Yeah, exactly. Like, what is it that causes these people to go to crime as their route? and w- what what keeps them that doing that? I think that's an interesting element of the film. But I think some of it is just, I think what people were surprised by, I think, was the fact that Ben Affleck delivered a very competent film. I think the film's very competent, but just not particularly original or fresh. Okay, what's the grade? I think probably the grade I would give it is a... B just a B. One thing I will add though is I'm amazed they must have had an extra person in their crew who just had a really good like line towards uh, Hollywood uh, costume department. Oh really? They get so many good costumes. Oh what for the uh, like, the, the robberies? Yeah, they get like perfect police uniforms nice. and like nuns. <laughs> like the, whoever their costume guy is, he deserves a big cut of those uh, heists. That's the all I'm we'll saying.
0: Everyone everyone on the street has a back alley costume maker. <laughs> you know if just you, when if you, need you know it. the right places, you can see them sewing away
1: <laughs> just like for that back heist, You know yeah, they yeah, want to look good while they're
2: robbing banks
0: yeah alright hey well thank you very much Phil Sam are we going to move to your first yeah I
2: guess I'll kick off with uh, Miller's Crossing from the makers of Blood Simple and Raising
0: Arizona a world where nothing is what it seems to be
2: Leo is he still the boss the day I back down from a fight Casper's welcome to the rackets this town and my place at the table Casper can he muscle in i'm sick of taking a strap from you leo and i'm sick of a high hat tom would he sell out a friend you shouldn't be confronted jenny casper that's what i've
0: been trying to tell you i can still trade body blows with any man in this town except utah
2: and verna verna is she leo's girl what
0: did you tell leo i told him you were a tramp and he should dump you I want everybody to be friends. You, me, Leo, the Danes. You know who I am? The Dane. Has he got it figured? You dumping Leo for the guy who put a bullet in your brother? Bernie. Will he turn the tables? Don't smart me. I want to watch you squirm. I want to see you sweat a little. All you got to do to show your friend is give me Bernie Bernbottom. Tommy, you can't do this. You don't bump guys. It's not right, Tom. I can't, Tom.
2: I'm talking about friendship. I'm talking about character. I'm talking about ethics. So I think you get from that a, a really interesting uh, look into this film. When you hear Coen Brothers, uh, I don't think you'd instantly go to this. No, not this even at all. Effort. Nice punch sound effects. Yeah, it's, uh, it's one of their very early films. I think it's their third film, uh, released in 1990. And it's kind of a pastiche, uh, kind of a... An homage to all the gangster movies about prohibition and all this sort of stuff. It was a it's a weird film to watch. It's not what I was expecting at all, knowing that it was a gangster movie. But it's it's really interesting. The story pulls you through, uh, tells you a lot. So basically, there's the kingpin Leo, and he runs the whole town. Uh, his second in command, this guy Tom, played by Gabriel Byrne, he has got an interesting Irish accent the whole way through. When he's an Irish actor. It surprises you because he tends to turn up playing a British
0: guy. He's d'Artagnan in the man with the iron mask which is the only role I can now think of him in. Yeah. It's a he's, shame.
2: He's also in uh The Usual Suspects. Yeah, much better in uh, that. Much better in that. So it, it's got some uh some real quality cast. There's John Turturro as well mm. and um Steve Buscemi gets in there. The plot follows this uh kingpin Leo as he kind of possibly loses grip on this town as one of his number 2s gets a bit too big for his boots. And the question is always, whose side is Tom on as he tries to manage things and throw in a girl and (laughs) it's it's just a crazy mix of things. Well, I have to admit, listening to that trailer, it made me think
0: it was a bit Martin Scorsese wannabe-ish and kind of serious gangster drama about the weird interpersonal relationships that drive those things. Whereas with the Coen brothers' stamp... Normally, I'd be expecting some, like, black comedy, basically.
2: Yeah, it, it is oddly humorous. Um, it is oddly humorous. It is oddly okay. humorous in that uh, you got in that clip John Polito playing this guy Casper talking about the high hat all the time yeah. and mentioning his ethics. He's, a, he's kind of a comic relief character, but okay. he's also quite serious. It, it plays that line between really witty, fast dialogue and supposed to be kind of uh, really colorful and quick-witted along with a really serious topic. And I think it's trying to put in relief the idea that in a world where there's, like, no rules, really, for gangsters, they can do what they want, how do you impose some sort of structure? So this is sort of like the moral code? Exactly, yeah, right. trying to figure out how do you hold true to friends in a world where actually everyone's out for themselves.
0: And is it does it have the also trademark sort of downbeat nature of a Coen Brothers movie, or is it is it plot-driven or is it emotion-driven? You know how sometimes as the film goes on, Basically, everything goes wrong. There's all kinds of disasters. There's a lot of ambiguity. And you're not really sure how to feel by the end. Is it like that?
2: Entirely like that. It's okay. very Coen Brothers in that right. um, way. Well,
0: I'm encouraged by that because the trailer didn't sound very Coen Brothers-y.
2: No, it's really Coen Brothers in that everything's about the emotions of the characters rather than the plot points. In some ways, you can see exactly where it's going to go right. right from the beginning. Uh, you're kind of plunged into a situation. Um, the initial scene sets it all up. Casper talking to Leo... Casper thinks he's being shunned, given the high hat, and Leo just riles him up until he storms off. Tom seems to think this is a bad idea, and the whole film plays out that situation into the rest, uh, the kind of consequences which come from it.
1: How would you rate it amongst uh, the other sort of Coen Brothers films?
2: Yeah, it's a good question. I. I really like the Coen brothers in general. I really, really liked one of their latest, Hail Caesar. This, Mm. I just couldn't place. I found it really difficult. And by the end, I was left with so many questions. What was it trying to say? You get the sense it was trying to say something, but I didn't know what it was. I read, one of the actors asked, um, I'm trying to get into character. What's this thing about the hat? And the Coen brothers, one turns to the other and goes, yeah, this guy's asking about the hat. And the other one says, yeah, the hat's significant. And that's all he says. (laughs) No, really? So... Even a mystery to the actors? Even a mystery to the actors. And so I went often. there's loads of different people saying, some people think this film is terrible, uh, they really hate it because it doesn't seem to do anything and it's not very gangster-y yeah. in some ways uh, and others think it's a masterpiece. Which way are you leaning, Sam? I think I'm leaning more towards uh, it's a very good piece of film. Oh. I wouldn't say it's a masterpiece, I think it leaves too many gaps and things open to interpretation. It's interesting, that kind of sums up
1: how I feel about it pretty much every Coen Brothers film, I always feel like they're trying to do something that I don't understand and I'm not smart enough to really get my head I'm around it. I'm not
0: sure that is necessarily their goal. Maybe I'm wrong. Sometimes I think they like just to throw up the fact that if only things could re- resolve as tightly as most plots, but instead they throw in all the mess and that in itself is their goal sometimes, I think.
2: What's the grade, man? Um, I think on balance I'd go with uh, a B B+. I, I still that enjoyed it be. I still really enjoyed it and I can tell it's a really good piece of filmmaking um, but it couldn't quite reach the, the A's because I just I had too many questions at the end I, it's the kind of film I really want to talk to loads of other people about and okay. see what they thought
0: Yeah, piqued our interest Sam nice one thank you so I need my first yes I think I'll start with Princess Kaguya and we'll leave the fun of The Secret of My Success till later so here you go Princess Kaguya you're uh-huh. such a beautiful little princess oh uh-huh. That kid's weird. She grows fast, like bamboo. Have you gotten bigger again? Yeah? You think so? I have heard the rumors about her. Oh, my. If disobedience to his majesty is considered a crime punishable by death, well then, the only choice is to kill me. You mustn't blame yourself. Do you really want to hurt your father?
2: Now, I'm laughing, and you
0: can't see it, listeners. If you watch that trailer online, then you'll... Well, let me... Every quote that came up from magazines and film reviewers on there, ends in an exclamation mark about this film. Astonishing! Brilliant! Exclamation mark. (laughs) And I think that tells you something about this movie. The Tale of the Princess Kaguya is a Studio Ghibli movie. It was made by Isao Takahata. And because I watched The Kingdom of Dreams and Madness, the Ghibli documentary, I know that this film was in a very, very long production cycle. Was it really? Yeah. And they constantly make, in this documentary, the studio themselves make in-jokes about how It's almost like he's trying not to finish the film. Now, he is kind of like the second director of Studio Ghibli. Um, Hyao Miyazaki takes generally all the acclaim, but Isao Takahata is just as important.
1: He's the third wheel on the tricycle.
0: Mm, Yeah, sure thing.
1: (laughs) That's Um, quite a good little image. He
0: makes very significant movies, but they're generally of a different tone. And this is very much not uh, what you'd expect from Studio Ghibli, in my opinion. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? I didn't really enjoy this film, so I'm sort of undecided. This is a very, very long, uh, imaginatively drawn retelling of the tale of the Bamboo Cutter, which is a folk tale. Folk? Folk tale. Sorry, I said how it's spelled. A folk tale, Japanese folk tale. Uh, Kind of about princesses and the moon and and that sort of thing. I I won't tell you too much. And it follows a a family who's of a bamboo cutter and his wife. And he's cutting bamboo one day. One day he finds this weird, oddly glowing little shoot. And out of it comes this tiny, tiny little girl. And she's like a miniature girl. Then he takes her home and she becomes a baby. And then the family raise this little magical girl who's grown out of bamboo. And the child ages very fast, as you heard there from the trailer. She becomes older quickly, and because she's so magical, and because the bamboo cutter is convinced that she's a princess, she becomes involved in the courtly life of Japan. And she has suitors coming to her. The emperor sort of is intrigued by this girl. And it becomes a a sort of fable all about society of the time. And I don't know, I just found it a little bit inaccessible. Is it a bit like a Japanese war and peace? Uh, not quite as you know severe as that, but it does deal with a lot of the sort of minutiae of uh, social uh, politics and that kind of thing. And to be honest, I I feel like the people who are going to enjoy this the most are people who are really ingrained in that culture. And so all the reference points that are there hit them very full. And you know the little relationships that this Princess Kaguya has with her family, adopted family, and the suitors, and even the children that she grows up around will all seem more significant if you understand. The, uh, the cultural confines. Was there anything in it that you did enjoy? Well, the drawing is beautiful, and it, I think it won the Oscar, didn't it, for Best Animated Picture that year?
1: It wouldn't surprise me at all.
0: Yeah, but at the same time, have you seen any clips from it, Phil, or not? I
1: think I've, I've seen bits of it, probably, without even realising. So the way it's done, it basically looks unfinished. It looks
0: like sketches that have been strung together, and so it is very kind of lively and enormously expressive, but at the same time, I found myself thinking, yeah, it looks just a little bit unfinished.
1: Is it a bit like the Red Bull adverts? Kind of, in, I know that's a crazy comparison, but you yeah, know I that mean, sort of... Far, far superior. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, but is in that sort of sketchy, like intentionally unfinished Yeah, look. definitely.
0: And I think they use quite traditional techniques as well. So I'm sure it's a feat um, of art- artistry, but slightly left me cold.
2: Does it have the same kind of incoherent story so is it trying to just give feelings very much like Hayao Miyazaki does in his... Well,
0: no, weirdly, I think actually it does have quite a tight plot because it's based on a tale, based on a fable. And I just think the emotions of it and the high points of it pass me by because I'm not familiar enough with the boundaries that it's breaking or the tensions that come up because it's a real comedy of manners, but set in feudal Japan.
1: You don't know, even know the culture it's to Not well enough yeah. to really,
0: really grasp it and... You know, it's a very, very beloved movie by critics, as you heard from those exclamation points. Outstanding. <laughs> Brilliant. Yes, exactly, yeah. And I think a lot of people who watch it just go into paroxysm about how wonderful it is. I didn't get it. I found it a bit
2: boring. Is it perhaps a bit of their kind of Emperor's New Clothes kind of thing? Everyone's saying how wonderful it is because they want there to be something more beautiful. Well, yeah, beautiful and there.
0: it is this legend of animated film probably making his last ever movie. He's an old guy now, and that, that probably will be his last. and yeah, I even found the music. I mean, as you heard from that trailer there, it's very it's going out of its way to say this is a film for you to reflect on and has lots of richness and meaning and I just don't have that like it when it's 3 hours long I just I just can't do it.
1: I mean, imagine it maybe Cinderella probably looked a bit twee to some audiences if you weren't familiar with Cinderella as a story and things like that. The fact that it's all about a glass slipper possibly seems a bit odd. Yeah, and possibly. maybe there is that kind of that I mean that's a very crude kind of comparison. Maybe there is a bit of that in the sense that it can't be charmed because it just seems weird.
0: I didn't get the highs of the drama.
1: I really enjoyed
0: how expressive the animation was. But also, i you can't enjoy animation like that for three hours solid. After a while, it becomes like, oh, that looks pretty, but... Can we just get on with the story, please?
1: Can you just animate it normally so I can watch it?
0: Yeah, so I mean, I'm sounding very curmudgeonly about all this. And I'm not saying I hated it by any means, but I definitely think the hype is way overrated. And if you ask me which films people are going to remember from Studio Ghibli in 20 years' time, it's going to be Princess Mononoke. It's going to be Spirited Away. Probably even Howl's Moving Castle. Definitely My Neighbour Totoro, although I wouldn't agree personally with that. It probably won't be Princess Kaguya, except for its historical relevance. So for me... Gets uh oh i don't know i was gonna say c plus but i think people will get too angry so b minus
1: oh you said c plus man it's c plus no
0: i said b minus that's it so after that downer what have you got for us phil hey, another downer no really it's
1: tintin the secrets of the unicorn okay
0: i don't think you realize this but you're about to walk into a
2: whole mess of danger
1: So there you go, Tintin. Uh, this is a 3D animated film. I think it was originally shown in 3D.
0: Yeah, this was actually. I think personally, for I mean, I'm going to spoil some. <laughs> I'm going to give an opinion right away. Sorry about that. It's your review. This represents quite a few theories all coming together at once. So you've got the belief that CGI animation can successfully communicate like a, a nice and vivid story without looking creepy and weird. And also it represents the idea that 3D is valuable and necessary and an exciting part of cinema. So for me, this exemplifies a load of experiments that Hollywood making. It's 2011.
1: Mm, so this is when... Do uh, you agree? Yeah, I do, I do, actually. <laughs> okay. And I think it's an interesting point. This is a joint effort by Steven Spielberg and Peter Jackson. They, He's producer, Peter Jackson. Yeah. But I think he actually directed some sequences as right? well. Right, okay. Via Skype. I think even though he was living in New Zealand, as he does, um, he was kind of giving directions and and prompts and things to actors wow. okay. across the, across the internet. Um, and I I completely agree, actually, this is an attempt to uh, utilize all modern technology. And Peter Jackson has gone on record as saying that 3d is fantastic and brilliant and the future of cinema. And 3d like or that. CGI, sorry. 3d and CGI as well. I think he's, he was uh, one of the few people who's really backed mocap as a, as a future of film. Yeah. I mean, he's into his high frame rates as well. So the jury's a bit out. Done a bit of a George Lucas, hasn't he? And, yeah. yeah. Anyway, so this is following a um, a combination of books based... Well, a combination of books by Hergé. Is it Hergé? Yes. Uh, a kind of well-known He's Belgian a, yeah. artist who originally wrote and uh, conceived of Tintin. And it follows Tintin as a journalist, a kind of extraordinary journalist who's always cracking these mysteries and cases. And uh, he happens to purchase a boat... Uh, A unicorn, the unicorn or something like that. And uh, this boat is much sought after by collectors and in particular a guy called Sakharin who is played by Daniel Craig. Yeah, surprisingly played by Daniel Craig. I would say miscast as Daniel Craig. And uh, it seems to be that there's something more to this model ship and it's not really certain what that is. And there's there's a bit of a murder, there's a bit of mystery all around uh, Tintin. Tintin's apartment gets broken into and hunted for because he's bought this ship, this model ship. Yeah, and this sets about in motion the film, which of course leads to Captain Haddock, played by Andy Serkis. And you've also got the uh, sort of two bumbling Interpol police officers. Thompson and Thompson, played by Nick Frost and Simon Pegg, of course.
0: Can I add in that this was written by Joe
1: Cornish and I think Edgar Wright as well? Yeah, they were two two of the writers, and you're a big fan of Joe Cornish, right? Yeah,
0: Adam and Joe are like my favourite sort of radio duo. In many ways, creatively, they're my favourite guys, and um, and so I had really high hopes for this.
1: And Edgar Wright is uh, much uh, he's kind of a cult hero, isn't he? He's a geek cult hero. I mean,
0: his Scott Pilgrim is such an odd mix of things, but it's quite beloved, and obviously Hot Fuzz, Shaun of the Dead, British comedy classics.
1: Yeah, so there's a lot of talent behind this film, basically. Uh, You've got Jamie Bell as Tintin. I know, Billy Elliot himself. Yeah, Mr Ballet. And you can really see... And it's Steven Spielberg. Sorry, I I feel we've... (laughs) Steven Spielberg making a a family-friendly film with brand-new technology, all the sort of most cutting-edge sort of stuff you could get. And I have to say, it's complete colossal failure, I think. Do you reckon? Yeah, I really do. And I think what it does is it's got all the traits of all the things that people say are negative about these elements in this film. I think... The 3D uh, animation is uh, uncanny, uncanny valley. So it's a bit. It makes you uncomfortable to look at because it's it's super realistic, but not quite. And it's a bit. It just makes you kind of cringe. Yeah, you've got um, a director who's got the freedom of CGI to do whatever he imagines, and in and instead it makes it a bit overblown and uh, over over-imagined, I'd say. It looks a bit, and I use this word advisedly, considering
0: Captain Haddock is in it, looks like it's drunk. <laughs> I think uh, the camera wobbles around everywhere. There's a chase sequence down a mountain, do you remember that, or down mm. a hill, which is just impossible to really enjoy because you feel like you're going insane and that like everything just swerves around. I think the dialogue sounds watered down like you can't really hear it it kind of comes
1: out of nowhere i think the score by john williams is a misfire as well it's a really odd film because you you look at it on paper and you just think how on earth is this film not amazing how on earth is it it's like everything you could possibly want combined together you've got a great cast of talented actors you've got a great director as we like brilliant 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 and yet it constantly i think the main dilemma it always faces is it doesn't know what sort of world it's in. Yeah, sure. It can't tell if it's a comical world with cartoon sort of rules, or if it's in a hyper realistic, regular world, but it's just animated. And the film is constantly trying to have its cake and eat it too. It's trying to do both those things. It's trying to present a kind of compelling, interesting human mystery, which it does in sort of the earlier parts of the film. And then it's got this ridiculous, over the top, comical unrealistic world that it's playing by. But they sort of have to do that to justify the mocap stuff, right? Because otherwise, what's the point? Well, exactly. And you wonder why why they've wanted to do that because I don't think those sequences in in actual fact add to the film. I think they take away from the film. You've got these crazy over-the-top sequences uh, like um, Captain Haddock and Tintin trying to take over a plane in the desert and then you've got them and firing bazookas boat well. yeah. and boats and you've got this uh, extended sequence where they're chasing a bird Uh, He's got some sort of item that they need to get and Tintin's on a motorbike which sort of is disintegrating as he goes. He's hanging off clothes wires and skating on things and it's just overblown and overindulgent and it's so frustrating I found it exhausting to watch.
0: Yeah definitely. It's a funny one because you remember the uh, Tintin TV show? No, I don't. Do you not remember? Because the image that always sticks in my head is the professor rising off his seat with glow, um, glowing crystal balls rising around him, and it has been done before Tintin and probably better as well. And I, yeah, I completely agree. They missed the tone of the books. Like it was Tintin was very ordinary. That was kind of the point of him. He's just very plucky, and he had an innate sense of what is good and right. <laughs> Racist character aside in the book, um, but. There were lots of ordinariness mixed in with extraordinary circumstances. And there was often a sense of debunking uh, a magical myth. A uh, bit like Scooby-Doo. It. Whereas this one goes the opposite way. And the magical myth is magical.
1: Do you know what I mean? Yeah, there's some sort of fate and destiny. There's
0: something weird, kind of spiritual element going on, which it just is weird and spiritual. And also, I couldn't forgive the movie for what they did to Captain Haddock. They made him a genuinely irritating buffoon, who is just a liability. Whereas in Tim, for as much as he was a bit of a fool... There were good things about his character as well. And he did contribute helpfully to Tintin's quests. Whereas here, he's just always annoying.
1: And there's a bit of a friendship between the two of them, isn't there? A in genuine the books, friendship. yeah, definitely. Whereas in this, he seems like he's so drunk. He's always seems to be so drunk that he doesn't really know what's going on. And
0: Tintin's irritated by him.
1: Yeah, and I mean, even Snowy is a bit annoying in this film. Yeah. Because uh, they went with a CGI dog. And this dog has the smallest eyes you've ever seen. <laughs> And you know what's you know what well, Disney... dots
0: in the in the concept. I know I know
1: I know, but that's the kind of challenge they have between reality and yeah yeah. Thing. Because you know Disney knows the secret to making an endearing character is massive Big eyes. eyes. Snowy is like the spawn of Satan. Like <laughs> honestly, he <laughs> just is so evil because he's got these tiny little beady eyes staring at you, and he's such an annoying little yappy dog. Anyway, yeah. Um, and I didn't endear to him at all. It's funny the characters which have large noses. Uh, particularly Captain Haddock, the look of Captain Haddock compared to Tintin, I think exemplifies the the possibilities of this film okay. versus reality because Tintin looks bizarre and creepy and like a weird sort of baby man. like a man. baby, yeah. And his eyes are too small and too realistic and they've got wrinkles and he's like a weirdly... Yeah, yeah. It's like, Ugh, it's just creepy. Whereas Captain Haddock, because he's got this massive nose, this absolute honker on his face, he kind of looks quite interesting and it works because it's a, a comic book and it, and it's a stylized character it it looks actually quite beautiful in sort of a bizarre way but they never really settled on whether or not they wanted to make an animation which has got compelling elements or they wanted to, to make a really technically masterful film and it just confuses itself what do you reckon the grade is unfortunately i'm going to have to say um i think it's a c
0: just a c not a c minus
1: or a D? possibly even c minus i would say i found it a difficult watch i physically felt uncomfortable watching it And I think I'm not... I'd be surprised if they make a sequel. So, uh, Sam, what's your next film? Whiplash.
2: This place is nice. I really like the music that they play. Bob Ellis on the drums.
0: (laughs) I'm part of Schaefer's Top Jazz Orchestra. It's the best music school in the country. The key
2: is to just relax. Don't worry about the numbers. Don't worry about what the other guys are thinking. You're here for a reason. Have fun. Five, six, and... I want to be great. And you're not. We got Buddy Rich here. little trouble there. You're rushing. Here we go. Five, six, and... Were you rushing or were you dragging? I I don't know. If you deliberately sabotage my band, I will gut you like a pig. So how's it going with the studio band? Good. Yeah, I think he likes me more now. I push people beyond what's expected of them. I believe that is an absolute necessity. I would never let him put my son through hell. Why would you let him get away with what he did to you? There are no two words in the English language more harmful than good job. Okay, so uh, you get from that uh, a good summary of what's going on. This guy, Andrew Mars Teller, is a musician at a conservatory. Conservatoire, uh, I think Oh, sorry, Conservatoire in New York. Uh, J.K. Simmons is his uh, mentor and instructor, the kind of leader of the band. And this film just follows this guy, Andrew's life, as he tries to make it big, as he says, to be one of the greats. It's not always comfortable watching, but it is gripping. And I'd play a little bit of drums, and so I was really interested in this. But even if you don't, I think the music will captivate you because some of it is just phenomenal. Do you think you like the music? I thought the music was brilliant. It's not everyone's taste, so it's it's very much in the, the realm of jazz. The yeah, spirit of jazz. it
0: is about jazz, man. Yeah, totally. exactly.
2: Uh, but then some of the pieces are really famous. So Caravan is this incredibly famous piece, which uh, features just an incredible drum track. Uh, and you kind of wonder, how is it possible that people can be this consistent? with what they're doing.
0: It's a super fast swing, isn't it? That's what he's supposed to do.
2: Double time swing is what they say. Yeah. Um, but this film, I, I really enjoyed it. I'm going to put that out there right away. Uh, but there are some difficult things about it. The char- None of the characters I felt were particularly likeable. And usually that makes a film uh, hard for me to watch. I struggle to remain interested if I don't like any of the characters. And yet you just can't help but want to know how this is going to progress. How are these two people who seem in some ways quite similar going to get through to the end
0: now do you think sam uh, uh, people who haven't seen this movie and maybe who haven't heard that trailer which kind of gives the answer to my question away might they think of it as a kind of remember the titans the dead poet society come on guys believe in yourselves mentor film or is it different
2: you could see it like that from the beginning and then as the movie progresses it quickly becomes something very different just because of the nature of this mentor he he's incredibly abusive and sort of Breaks people, and you see him break people down in horrific ways. Like, I just it seems to be opening a door on a different world. This high level, uh, elite kind of musician athlete. I could imagine a similar film about elite athletes, like um, the being hidden
0: world of kind of the top of the top draw guys,
2: exactly the sacrifices, the complete um, change in the way your mind works, uh, to be able to achieve something truly spectacular that is what their aim is and they see all else as completely worthless and that's partly where the dislike comes from the kind of disassociation between audience and characters because very few people watch this and be this elite musician
0: or something like that well and they do that in the film with a girl that andrew teller gets to know right
2: yeah exactly right it's a it's, it's a really nicely played out story i think um, the director is really good at showing you elements of uh, exposition. So he goes to a movie theatre with his dad and uh, the girl behind the desk, they have a very short conversation. But it's obvious he's really interested in her, but just doesn't quite have the confidence to say anything. And then later on in the film he finally does and you think, oh, this is brilliant, what a great connecting moment. I can understand someone wanting to have a relationship. And then he throws it all away, literally, uh, in a conversation because he says, I just want to be one of the greats. I- I can't do anything else other than play drums.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of people watching this movie will be uncomfortable watching it. Did you find yourself... Was it uncomfortable in a bad way? Or did you think it was just quite a good edge of your seat? Whoa, I don't think I can take much more of this.
2: uh, More of the latter for me. I think some people would find it uncomfortable uh, because of the nature of the way uh, this mental J.K. Simmons tears people down. It It is painful to watch because all of these people, not just the characters you're invested in, are kind of trying to be at the top of their game and having someone just tell them how awful they are to the point where they you know might quit they're crying quite often and look kind of scared it's not comfortable to watch i love this film partly because of the way it allows you to have space to fill in some of the blanks you get a lot of what you need to know just from watching how different characters relate rather than them telling you what they're feeling um, there's a great scene around a, a dinner table where this andrew guy He's obviously proud of his achievements and proud of where he seems to be going. Is kind of just completely sidelined by sports types, and uh, the way that whole family relate. It was just really interesting. It was quite awkward, wasn't it? Really awkward, and it's it's palpable tension. And yet, uh, you kind of are half on the side of Andrew, but then at the same time, he's a real nasty guy uh, in how he responds to kind of people sidelining him. Uh, and it just made me think. I can just imagine people who are that elite kind of ignoring everyone else who doesn't understand them.
0: I was kind of blown away by Miles Teller in this movie, especially the fact that he's not a drummer, and he somehow managed to mime it while someone else did the actual sounds, to the point where I thought, whoa, this guy's incredible at drums, but you know, he doesn't know how to play. And I thought his performance was astonishing, but everyone else seems to think that J.K. Simmons stole the show.
2: Well, all the performances seem really good. Even incidental characters just fit their role really well, like the rival in the drums is just so interesting. Oh, the Irish guy. Yeah. The Irish guy, really funnily annoying. Um, and yet, yeah, I think the reason J.K. Simmons takes uh, kind of all the accolades is just because he transforms into someone you can kind of half imagine existing, and yet goes so many stages beyond. I think Miles Teller just does a phenomenal job. It's much more understated in some ways, uh, a kind of subtle performance. J.K. Simmons, has the ability to just go all out. Yeah. Uh no holds barred kind of thing. Uh this character Andrew just needs to play a kid. And so I think Mars Teller really should get more acclaim. You reckon? And yeah, I mean I didn't know that he was faking. You get drawn in so quickly. Yeah. It's true. Uh, you kind of assume he must be. There's no way you can act being brilliant at drums and be brilliant at drums. I know what yeah. you're saying, yeah. What about the direction, Sam?
1: I, I've seen this film as well. That's why I've stayed quiet mostly. I wanted to hear what you thought of it. <laughs> this is like Damien it? Chazelle, Sam, and there's a lot of buzz about this guy. He's only
0: 31 now, and so when he directed this, he would have been, what, 29 or something? Yeah, probably. He, he wrote, wrote it younger. As well, I think, didn't he? Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, there's some things I've touched, on. I think the way he tells this story is very impressive because it's lots of showing uh, feelings, showing emotion rather than, the characters having to tell you so uh think about exposition yeah like it's it's brilliant you watch how this person believes everyone else beneath him because he's better at music than they are you watch how he starts becoming obsessed without him having to tell you there's just a couple of lines he wants to be the greatest and then you see how far he's willing to go rather than having to tell you I'll do anything he just does anything
0: I'm with you on that completely and there's a lot of sort of shocking moments in the film the way it's cut it's quite harsh there's a lot of jump cuts that get used and a good mix of static camera which lets you see the intensity of the performance and then shaky stuff as well
1: I particularly liked the way that he shot music I yeah. know that sounds crazy but I really loved how he managed to make music feel vibrant energetic chaotic organized and powerful and real punchy like the the trumpets in the music which probably in the trailer um, it really makes an impact. The film feels loud and intense, and
2: and real, pre- really present. I think. Did you find that as well, Sam? Yeah, very much. I think um, everything you said, I totally agree with. Like the director knows what he's doing to uh, draw you into this world, which could be really alienating. Um, like if you're not musical, you might think, why would I bother watching a film about a drummer of all instruments? Yeah. Um, like how can you be wowed by that? But he cuts it in such a way that you feel the tensions in just being in a band like the nervousness, the desire to be really, really good uh, and to show off all this kind of stuff. I feel it must be laid at the director as well as the performers in that. What's the grade, man? Uh, I think I'm going to have to go for a solid A. Okay. I thought it was really, really good. Nice. Um, great performances, great direction. It's one of my just great th- uh, things of a film. If I'm able to find some people to discuss it afterwards, what do they think it meant? What were they trying to achieve at the end? And I think the director set set out for that.
0: Nice. Well, there we go, listeners. We've given that a bit more extra time. I think you can tell we all loved it,
1: basically. It's a good film. If you haven't seen Whiplash, do check it out. Yeah, definitely.
0: Okay, and I'll finish this off with my last movie, a nice stupid one to end on, The Secret of My Success.
2: Michael J. Fox is Bradley Foster. He came to New York to make it on his own.
0: You're fired, kid. Sorry. Mom, I'm doing great. New York is just like Kansas.
1: Intensified.
2: Luckily, he didn't have to.
1: I need a job, Uncle Howard. Around here, I'm Mr. Prescott. They started him at the bottom. Show the college puke the ropes and keep him out of my face. But he had a secret way of starting at the
2: top. This Carlton Whitfield. Carlton Whitfield? Well, I didn't hire any Carlton Whitfield. There's something going on around here. Foster. He was trying to stay one jump ahead of everyone else. If you're under the second lap, you still got a comfortable lead. When his uncle's wife got the jump on him. Ah. What the hell happened? He fainted. That's when he met her.
1: Tonight? Booked. Tomorrow night?
0: Booked. All right, but don't beg, okay? It's embarrassing.
2: They yes. were a merger made in heaven.
0: That wasn't bad.
2: That's when everything else...
0: Howard, please.
2: ...went to hell.
0: I never slept with the boss. No, you slept with the boss's wife.
2: Leave
1: No, but I'd like the beat to beat him that in. Oh, my
0: God. Oh, my God. The sexual revolution is over. Everybody out of
2: bed. Michael J. Fox, the secret of my success.
0: I'm walking on sunshine. Woo! Do you remember when that was like a classy hit,
1: Phil? Yeah, it's a great song.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, listeners, this is basically the pinnacle of a certain type of movie I've talked about on the Super Baby Bros podcast before, which is the weird little microcosm of 80s where being, you know, wearing a suit and being in a corner office in a tower block in the city was the absolute dream of everyone. Everyone wanted to speak business jargon and everyone wanted to talk about their meetings and everyone wanted to be up at 5am still working on a big project for the next day. Do you remember wanting to be like that, Phil? No. I think probably people on The Apprentice still do. I think they still think it is the 80s. I am. Success. (laughs) Yeah. I think this film, unfortunately dreadful. It's a, a sad thing for me to say because this is a movie that our parents got us to watch um, when we were, you know, teenagers or whenever it was as kind of a bit of a funny little romp. farcical romp. Yeah, and I think we did laugh at the time and that, that's partly because our parents were laughing, we were laughing, we were all laughing we had a lot of fun. <laughs> and there are some nice little moments where a fantastic 80s classic comes in Oh, yeah Yeah, and we used to chuckle at that as kids because it's funny when you're a kid now not so much the real problem here is uh, just a total lack of chemistry from nearly everybody on screen. Michael J. Fox is the lead, and as ever, he is just charming, brilliant. Oh, I think he's a phenomenal actor and screen presence. Um, his earnestness and something about the energy he brings to the screen makes him sympathetic, even in quite an unsympathetic role. It's this Brantley who's got... Um, Ambition's well above his station. But his sort of romantic counterpart, Christy, played by Helen Slater, who I don't think you've heard of much, Phil. No, I haven't at all. She's bad. Like, she just plays such a ditzy sort of executive who's such a cliche. It was really annoying to watch what they did to her character. They just made her an annoying sort of try-hard damsel in distress. And I got bored with seeing her character almost instantly. And then you've got Richard Jordan, who plays Uncle Howard, in some ways he's okay but he's also a complete cliche he's a totally sleazy manipulative boss and you can see the story points coming from a mile away it kind of nothing about the film really works except michael j fox and the way that he gets to success is by lying and cheating basically and fraud
1: much like the 80s but
0: you see now that is exactly what i mean it's there was this belief at the time i think that all you needed was that That one shot at success and you could just prove your way by being brilliant. And it has the really patronizing business, you know, light bulb moment where they give a literal elevator pitch that so bowls over the boss of this company that he's willing to overlook multiple instances of malpractice and say, these kids have got something. You're on the board. Do you know what I mean? Where's my cigar? Yeah, exactly. And Yeah bar a couple of farcical scenes that really should just be on the theatre like they're like noises on noises off have you heard of that play no I haven't it's a classic farce where lots of things are going terribly wrong behind stage while people are still trying to put on a comedy show uh, Okay, and it's very funny and it's full of you know mistaken identity people in compromising positions that is this film in a nutshell they just tried to make it slightly slick with some 80s themes in there with a terrible romance
1: and Do you with you think it could make a good,
0: good stage play it'd be better as a stage play because you'd forgive it the cheesiness and the terrible performances.
1: And it'd be part of the charm almost.
0: Yeah, I think so. So even though it really exemplifies that age of the 80s, I, I don't think it's any good. Wow, there you go. One thing that is quite remarkable uh, is uh, Vera Prescott. That's Howard's wife, Vera, Michael J. Fox's aunt in the movie, played by Margaret Witten who, again, I'm not that familiar with, although she looks a bit like Bed Midler to me. She has got some amazing hair. It's like if you want to see... Like, what style really look like? She is woke. I mean, she's something else. I, I don't know how they do it. It's hairspray, it's hairdryers, it's something. But you don't see hair like that anymore, man. Right, okay. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? A, a jury's out, mate. Um, I'm going to give this one a C plus. Purely Michael J. Fox makes it survive being consigned completely to the bin. I think it's a pretty dire story. He makes it just about watchable.
1: Oh, dear. Sorry, mum and dad.
0: Who's Whitfield? That's my quote. Okay, Well, that about wraps it up. Thanks, listeners, for sticking with us for those six movie reviews. Hope you enjoyed the bumper episode. Thank you very much, special guest.
1: Thanks very much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Very welcome. Thank you, Sam. Yeah, it's good to have you on.
0: We'll be back again next week with four reviews, just me and Phil next time. And as ever, do get in touch to
1: say what you thought. Do you agree with us, disagree with us? Let Sam know whether you agree with him. You can even give him a plus one or minus one. If you've seen some of those films and you agree or disagree, email in and say if you liked it, plus one. If you didn't, minus one superbellybros at gmail.com
0: or at superbellybros on Twitter. And we'll see you again next week. Thanks, guys. Happy film watching. Bye. Hi, listeners. Well, this is basically a mini bonus bit because it's something we decided to do for what we've been watching. But unfortunately, we're recording this a week later. So Sam isn't here. We are going to give you our weekend recommendations if you're in the UK.
1: Yep, so we've had a look at the film listings and what films you could watch this weekend on Friday, Saturday and Sunday. And Laurie, which film would you like to pick? Well, I'm going to go with Disney's
0: Hercules, which is on five star, not a very familiar channel, but it is on free view. And that is at 3.20pm. I've said before, I think Disney's Hercules is an underrated absolute gem of a movie for adults and kids alike. Great music, great animation, great story.
1: And just because it's on in the afternoon, most people I think these days have something that can record these programmes. So get get your diary out, go to the right place and hit record and that is on saturday as well yeah what's yours phil mine's on saturday as well it's on film four at 11 p.m it is quite an intense film but it's man on fire denzel washington is in mexico Uh, a girl has been uh, captured and taken by some nasty people and he is the bodyguard of that girl and he sets about to find her and get her back and he man he has a no-nonsense approach it's quite an intense it's quite an intense sort of film, um, but Denzel Washington is magnetic in the performance. And I think it's kind of a one for blokes. So check yeah, it out.
0: It's one of these films that sort of kickstarted that whole genre to uh, the masses of films that get released in it every year, like from Taken to uh, all those other films out at the moment.
1: Yeah, but I will say this one's slightly different because Denzel Washington in Mexico, I think kind of there's there's something unusual there.
0: It's true. Well, there you go, listeners. Those are our weekend choices.